to episode 170 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd, and we are broadcasting here from the Pat Cave at Magenta Manor, brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee as a part of the Dorkening Network. And I am, of course, joined by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the real housewife of Transylvania. She is the Michael Phelps of wine, the mistress of Merlot, and the queen of the monsters. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashes von Nightmare. Oh, hey. <laughs> Always enthusiastic. What's up? This is... Uh, How you doing? Oh, I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be an interesting episode because we are recording this uh, just a couple days after the news dropped that uh, Sid Haig passed away. And so what we thought we'd do instead of our normal getting into character stuff, uh, we thought we'd talk a little bit about the times that we've actually interacted with Sid at conventions and, uh, you know, share a couple of cool stories with you before we get into our, uh, our main discussion, which is, uh, 1932's Freaks, uh, directed by Todd Browning. But, uh, Ashes, we had, we've had a couple of times where we got the opportunity to, to meet Sid Haig and talk to him. We've got some pictures. Uh, some some signatures as well. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the first time you got to meet him? So I actually met Sid Haig at my first Rock and Shock back in 2009. He was the first celebrity that I met at my first Rock and Shock. And I am a huge fan of Rob Zombie's stuff. Uh, music, films, artwork, you name it. I love it for the most part. I feel like I should put a little asterisk there for the most part. Um, so I was really excited to meet Sid Haig and Bill Mosley because House of a Thousand Corpses was one of my, and, and it's still uh, probably in my top 10, uh, one of my favorite horror films at the time. And I loved him as Captain Spaulding. I was just, like like many people, so enthralled with this colorful character that he created for this film. and Or I should say these films. But the colorful part definitely came in House of a Thousand Corpses. And he became a more grittier character in, in Devil's, Reject, Devil's Rejects, which is why I kind of like both films. Um, you know, they, they each bring something different to the table. So I was really just uh, I, I, starstruck when I had the opportunity to meet him. And Patsy and I, we had just started dating at this point, and he had gone to about a month. Uh, he had gone to Rock and Shock that Friday night, and I was going with him that Saturday. So he had a chance to kind of go and check out the lay of the land, if you will, and uh, surprised me with. <laughs> So Sid Haig, known uh, by many horror fans as Uncle Sid, he's like the perverted uncle with a heart of gold that you just love. Like you you look forward to family gatherings for Uncle Sid to come around. And uh, so he, he kind of reminds me of that. And um, that year he had a lot of different merch available at his table. And of that merch were these thongs that had Captain Spaulding's face on it, eating a piece of chicken that says it just tastes so damn good. I don't think he's eating uh, the chicken. I think it's crotch. just his face. Well, it's just, it's, but it references the chicken. Yeah. It's just his face, but it's his face on the crotch that says it just tastes so damn good. 
and Patsy picked me up a pair, which was just hilarious. And, and he signed them. He signed them, yeah. So I have a pair of panties signed by Sid Haig um, with his face on, on the crotch. I've never worn them, obviously, because, I mean, he signed them, so why would I? But but they're, they exist, and I own them, and I have them. Uh, but he was just so nice. He was... So that Saturday, if I remember correctly, that was my birthday. Yes. We went to Rock and Chuck on my birthday. Yes. Typically, Rock and Chuck is around my birthday in October every year. But every now and then, Rock and Chuck actually falls on the weekend of my birthday. So that was really cool to have the opportunity to meet him first thing uh, on my birthday. And I told him that it was like oh my god i'm like i'm so excited to meet you it's my birthday and this is the greatest present ever and he signed a bunch of stuff he signed movies and pictures and we had the opportunity to take selfies and stuff with him and well, you did he didn't charge anything like he I, I was i was you know fully prepared to to pay the man and he well i had also paid him the day before i i you know, bought stuff from. Well, yeah, you bought stuff from him, but you know, sometimes he signed everything else for free. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he didn't. You know, uh, like I said, I was I was gonna pay him, but he he didn't charge me anything, and I just, you know, he said happy birthday, and you know, uh, it was just awesome. Like he was just so incredibly nice. Yeah, and like, it was... he plays these very uh horrific brooding characters but in real life like he just he loves his fans so much and it really shows at these conventions he was super excited when when i first got in there because i got there early this was back in the days where i could get to places early because i wasn't waiting for people all the time uh, no comment no comment <laughs> you shut up the to quote agent nicole shut up the fuck up okay so I got I got to Rock and Chalk super early on on uh, Friday. I was there with the New England Horror Writers. This is long before we had even thought about doing a podcast. But I was still very very active with the New England Horror Writers, and I went and I got there early. I got my my uh, my wristband and everything. And so when uh, when I had gotten there, you know, I was trying to I had gotten into the celebrity room a little early because I was actually trying to chat with uh jack ketchum who i'd met the year before and you know he was very very nice to me and while i was in the room in the celebrity room you know about two hours before the show started here's you know sid hey getting up and not quite running but like hurrying across the room because he was so excited to find to to see adrian king He's like, Adrian King, how the hell are you? He goes over and gives her a hug, and they start chatting. I snapped a picture real surreptitiously. I don't know where the hell that picture is. Um, but there were a couple of uh, people talking. You know, you know, later on in the con, there were a couple of people talking to Sid and, and Bill Mosley. And this is, we've referenced this on the show before, where someone asked if there was going to be a sequel to The Devil's Rejects. And Bill Mosley looks over and goes, hey, Sid. They're going to be a, a sequel to Devil's Rejects? And Sid goes, no. And they both point at each other in unison and say, because we're fucking dead. See My how time has changed. <laughs> I was say, that didn't age well, huh? I mean, granted, um, that was 10 oh, years ago. Oh, hey, Three from Hell. Yeah, but they didn't realize that it was going to be a trilogy at the time. Yeah, it, no, it, it, no was, it was a really funny 
experience. Like it was a really funny thing that happened and you could tell that they get asked this question a lot and they tend to do a lot of conventions together too. I mean, so it, it helps that they're friends, you know, but, um, the fact that they star in, movies together they do the con circuit together as well so and they usually get seated near each other near each other well it's just kind of thematic so yeah you know it does if you have you know several people from the same film or you you know you want to sit them together franchise yeah so it just yeah that that whole it was just funny it was and and i think it, it caught the people who asked the question off guard a bit, but we were all laughing hysterically in line. And uh, somebody had had, um, and this is the the Friday before. Somebody had, you know, they were they had just talked to each other, Bill and and Sid, and I was like, hey, well, you guys are standing next to each other. Can I take a picture of you? And Sid goes, sure, but it's going to say "fuck you" on it. So I I took the picture, and he's like, let me see it. And you know, he flipped me off, and Bill Mosley just gave me the point, and he looks at it, goes, see, told you it was going to say "fuck you" on it. Then I was like, well, you know, I'm going to buy stuff from you, too. I'm not just here to mooch off you. And he's like, well, that's what I like to hear. You know, something along those lines. You know, and I was telling him about this girl that I had just started dating and that she was going to be there the next day because it was her birthday. And he's like, well, you can't go wrong with these. And he starts, you know, like pushing the panties on to me. I'm like, you know what? I was like, I was like, oh, but I don't I don't know what size he goes. Son, what the fuck do you need to know what the size of her? She ain't never going to wear these. It was fucking great. So yeah, that was, and I was like, you know what, that's great. He's like, well, bring her back here tomorrow. You know, I'll, 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 you know, I'll sign a couple things for you. You know, help you out a little bit. And I was like, well, I, I really appreciate it. And then a couple years later, um, it was like five years later, somewhere in there, um, I had just published my book, uh, Monsters in the Closet. And so one of the things that we were doing, because I didn't sell many of them, so I had all these books on hand. I'm like, oh, I have this great idea that I'm going to hand out some of these books to some people. You know, here you go. So I gave him one, and he's like, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, now I have something to read on the plane. Because I told him, I'm like, I don't want anything in return. You know, you were very good to me a few years ago. You probably don't remember, but I wanted you to have this. This is something that I created, you know. If you like one of the stories that's in the book, you know, maybe I go a small way of, you know, paying you back for all the countless hours of free entertainment you've given me. And he's like, you know, I appreciate it. Now, now I have something to read on the plane. I'm like, awesome. So that's, uh, that's my Sid Haig story. But he's one of those guys where I have yet to hear a sour story about him. You know, we obviously, we, we know a lot of people. We have a lot of friends, all of you lovely listeners out there. You know, a lot of you go to the conventions and a lot of you go to the conventions and, you know, stood in line to meet Sid Haig. And I've yet to hear a horrible story about him. He was just a, a, a great guy. And he really kind of mirrored the energy that you brought to him. You know, uh, he was nothing but sweet and, and loving and just, just super nice. Um, you know, towards me, I, I've heard stories where he can get really sassy towards people, you know, who deserve it. Oh, he was sassy Um, to me when I was trying to figure (laughs) out what size uh, underwear to get you, you know, but, um, nothing short of a gentleman. So yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been, I, a couple of days. See, usually celebrity deaths, like 
they, you know, I'm like, you think to yourself, like, oh, it's it's kind of a bummer that that person passed, you know, especially if it's in a tragic way or they had been sick or, you know, what have you. But it's not very often that I feel really affected by one. And this is one I feel like I'm I'm really affected by. And a lot of people are, um, you know, he was 80 years old. He's lived a fantastic life, but you know, if we could have had a couple more years of Uncle Sid, that would have been great. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. Like, you know, so many of these celebrities die, and it's like, you know, Robin Williams when he committed suicide. It's like, oh, that's really tragic. But I never had any one-on-one interaction with him, so it didn't bother me well, as much as this did. And that's what's so great about these conventions and stuff too. If you have the opportunity to go and to meet some of these people, like they imprint on you, you know, that meeting uh, could mean everything to you, you know, and, and we've had some great interactions with people. We've had some not so great interactions with, with celebrity guests at conventions as well. But, but for the most part, it's the, it's the good ones that stick with you, that imprint on you, that you carry with you. And, you know, there are times when we're sitting there, we're watching a, a, a movie or a TV show and, and, you know, we'll be like, oh, hey, we had the opportunity to meet this person and, you know, makes you want to support them more. Yeah. And especially when you have a good interaction with someone, it makes you want to support them more versus having a poor interaction where you're just kind of like, you know what? Maybe not. Right. And, you know, you want to, you know, it's like, oh, this guy was so great to me. Let me promote, you know, whatever, whatever project they've got working on. And even if you say you're not a huge fan of the project that they worked on. Maybe you still, you know, instead of uh, giving your honest opinion about everything, you just focus on the things that you like. Not that I've ever done that. No, I mean, knowing that, you know, seeing some of the the tributes and the the pictures and the thoughts that people have shared, like about how, you know, even just a few weeks ago, Sid was traveling across the country to make sure he could get to as many cons as he could. His limited appearance in Three from Hell... Speaking of Three from Hell, Rob Zombie has been posting some fantastic flashback, like throwback pictures and, you know, uh, posts about different memories and stuff. So, you know, if you don't follow Rob Zombie on social media, you know, you may want to check that out if you are a Sid Haig fan, because he's been posting some very great pictures of, you know, some of the behind the scenes work that they did, um, you know, with the House of a Thousand Corpses and devil's rejects and three from hell and trying to think he was also in the halloween movies i believe as well um he's been i mean this guy has quite the catalog of of acting well fun fun story he said the one of the the roles he regretted passing on one of the the biggest roles he's ever regretted passing on and he did end up eventually working with this director in years that followed he Turned down the role of Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction. Wasn't he in Kill Bill? He was in Kill Bill. He was just, uh, it was like a, a quick little scene where um, Michael Madsen was in the, the strip club. And he's like, he goes, is that butt out there? Tell him to get his fucking ass in here. And then Sid Haig turns to him and goes, bud, Larry'd like a word with you. <laughs> uh, his role in uh, Jackie Brown of the Judge was specifically written for him as well. Really? So uh, Tarantino was a little disappointed that you know he turned down the role. Not that Ving Rhames did a bad job as Marcellus Wallace, but 
I, I could definitely see. A lot of times you hear about these castings, like, oh, this guy could have been in that, and that lady could have been in this. This is definitely a role I could see Sid Haig absolutely crushing, you know? Like, it would have been what could have been, you know? Right. But he was also, um, he played Captain Spaulding in four different movies. Because you, you've got, obviously... Three from Hell, Devil's Rejects, House of a Thousand Corpses. And then the Haunted World haunted of Haunted World of El, Super Beasto. Yep. So that was pretty cool. And then all all the little shorts and like the little uh commercials that he did in the in the movies were also just <sighs> He he almost retired in nineteen ninety two. Really? Because he was so tired of just being typecast as you know, the heavy, like, you know, he's the guy that the heroes would go up against on Gunsmoke and the A-Team and all these other shows. Like, he was on, uh, he was in 50 movies and 350 TV episodes. Like, the guy's career started in 1959. Wow. His career spanned six decades. He was in uh, an episode of The Untouchables in 1959, and then he was in a short film called The Host, or Host, I forget which, uh, in 1960. But, like, he was he was a bad guy on, like, a thousand different, different programs, you know? And he was a bad guy in a ton of movies. You know, he was a biker, or he was the leader of a biker gang, or he was, you know, a gang member. You know, he was always, like, that type of role. And then... Finally, you know, he started getting these other roles. You know, Tarantino gave him different roles. Rob Zombie obviously gave him different roles. He started branching out a little bit. And that, I think, is what allowed him to not only uh, extend his career because he was enjoying what he was doing, but also become a part of the cultural zeitgeist. I was trying to figure out a way to throw that word in there. You just really like zeitgeist, don't you? Well, it's the first time I've ever said it on the show, I think. 170 episodes, I think we're doing alright. But yeah, I, I I think without, you know, Rob Zombie and Quentin Tarantino, like, really taking a chance on him. You know, obviously he was in other shows, you know, Just the Ten of Us, which is a comedy, you know. I was thinking that was with, uh, who was the guy that played... Dick Van Patten. I was I couldn't think of his name, but that was eight is enough, not just the ten of us. Um, but yeah, Sid did a lot of different stuff, so he his career spanned a long, long time, and he was good at what he did. Uh, he brought this, you know, scary, menacing intimidation. Even you know, at his advanced age, when he was, you know, again in. The, the brief scene that he's in in Three from Hell, where he's like, I will slap the shit out of you. You know, <laughs> you can see that, that he's he's not the same guy he was in House of a Thousand Corpses. Right. But, but that he was still also got that air to him. 16 years ago. Right. But he was still 64 when that came out. Right. You know, no, no. But I mean, there's a difference between 64 and 80. Um, yeah, I just... and. The stories that I hear coming from directors and writers and his coworkers or and whatnot are uh, he's just the level of profession professionalism that he had you know on set offset um, working with all of these different brilliant brilliant talented people 
you know, he he knew what he was doing and he brought a lot to the table. Yeah, he did he did a lot of you know I mean, he's an excellent character actor. Yeah, he did a lot of different roles which kind of, you know, allowed him to expand what he was doing. But again, like I said, he he almost retired in 1992, but again, after doing 3 decades of I'm always the, you know, the black hat. I'm always the bad guy. Um, they kind of got old. And I think Captain Spaulding really resurrected his his career. You know, like you said, Patsy, he was in four films as Captain Spaulding. Three, like, physically, and, and one just his voice. But still, it was Captain Spaulding. And it's a, it's a role that he clearly enjoyed playing, because otherwise he wouldn't well, have kept reprising And not only that, it. like, it's become an iconic character. Yeah. And I don't think it would have had the same impact if, if somebody else had been casted in that role. And it, it's funny, you know, when I was doing research on some of his on some of his uh, his work for the uh, memorial article I wrote, most people know him as Captain Spaulding because of the popularity of the Rob Zombie movies, even though they weren't like wide theatrical releases. The horror community latched onto it and knew exactly what they were what they were getting and they knew exactly who he was. And, you know were big fans of the Firefly family and their antics. And he brought this gravitas to the character where even though he's this, you know, as we see in uh, Devil's Rejects, he's this sick, sadistic, like just terrible human being. But he tries to sacrifice himself for his daughter uh, when, the, when the sheriff ends up getting him. He was a great actor, but he was a good person first. And, you know, these Agreed. days it's there's a lot, you know, what have we seen in the last year and a half? How many different people have had their legacies ruined? And this is a guy who's outlasted all of them and worked far longer and has a, a much, a much, uh, for lack of a better word, a longer rap sheet, you know, mm-hmm. because he's just he's just added credits and credits and credits and credits to his name. And. No one was ever like, oh, well, he did this or he did that. You know, he knew the difference between Captain Spaulding and Sid Haig. Um, I think with that being said, we'll uh, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss uh, 1932's Freaks. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Hey everybody, we are the Derailers, Goobs, Ripkin, and Jenny Bean, and you can join us once every week for a brand new derailment. It includes sidetracking, randomness, we just can't stay on topic. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Derailers. And please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on YouTube. Derailers! Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon. This is Emma! Hi, my name is Grando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. 
Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon. Hi guys, this is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. And you're listening to Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes Von Nightmare. And you're listening to the Throwdown Thursday podcast. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. And we are back. So yeah, that was a, I hope a little bit more of a, a happier tone than, you know, we led on. So what we're talking about today, because we're, we're getting into Halloween, because this episode is going to drop right before, you know, the beginning of October. So we figure it's close enough. We can start doing Halloween stuff. So today we're talking about a movie that uh, would not be made today because it, it would feel exploitative. Not that this movie didn't feel exploitative in certain ways. But I think that was the goal of certain characters to kind of bring that out. But we are talking about 1932's Freaks, uh, directed by Todd Browning. And Todd Browning got the opportunity to direct this because of how popular his Dracula film the year before had been. So riding on that success, he's like, you know, I really want to make this this movie. And one of the things he was able to do was, for lack of a better word, he got freaks. Um, you know, people who were in circus sideshows. And uh, as they referred to it on the, the Simpsons, the pageant of the trans mundane. So this film, um, it stars Wallace Ford as Frozo the Clown. It stars Leela Hyams as Venus, who are like two of the only decent people. Uh, then there's Olga Baklanova, who her film career, uh, she was also in 1928's The Man Who Laughs, which uh, was the inspiration for the Joker. That main character uh, inspired the Joker uh, only a few years later. And uh, it also starred Henry Victor, who played Hercules, the strongman. And you can tell a movie is popular when it gets a Simpsons parody. Um, and this recently got a Simpsons parody, uh, only instead of being like a normal sideshow attraction, it was just Mo as Mo, which is kind of mean for Mo. But uh, some of these folks that are in this movie, you might recognize, like. Harry and Daisy Earls, uh, who in the film play a uh, an engaged couple, but in real life are brother and sister. If you've seen The Wizard of Oz, uh, Harry Earls plays one of the members of the Lollipop Guild, and um, Daisy is one of the uh, just munchkins in the crowd. Maybe one of the most fascinating characters that's in this is uh, Prince Randian, who uh, has no arms or legs, but you know, they show how he you know gets around. And one of the things that I did like about this film, and we we talked about this while we watched it, Ashes, is they weren't just like, ooh, look at the scary people, look how they're deformed. But they were showing their the different ways that these people have been able to overcome the uh, shortcomings that they've had in life. Like, Not so much overcome, just adapt. Well, the, you know, the, the young lady who they're didn't not, have arms just, was living, drinking and, and you know, using her eating, feet. using yeah, her feet. It's just it's they a, show it's adaptation. Right. Well, when they show Prince Randy and, you know, lighting a cigarette, you know, he's got a cigarette in his mouth. He takes a match out and, you know, strikes the match and lights the cigarette, blows the match out. That's not something that is necessary. You don't have to smoke, but that's, you know. If you want to, and you don't want someone to do it for you, like that's a skill that I'm sure took 
forever to learn. Well, they actually cut the scene where he rolled the cigarette himself as well. I've in the the DVD that I had, I saw him. I don't yeah, know where my DVD went. Because the studio actually cut about 30 minutes of of footage. Not that this is a long movie. It's a little over an hour. Right. It's an hour they, and four. Well, so kind of getting into that. So kind of a fun fact, uh, Lon Chaney was supposed to be tacked on to this because the idea of Freaks started in 1925. Um, but it was, I think it was, it was too too bold of an idea and and nobody wanted to be tacked on to it nobody wanted any anything to do with it uh you know lon cheney didn't want to be a part of it as well you know so it, it's something that browning kind of had in the back of his mind for a while and then ultimately with the success of his dracula film he was able to you know the, the studio let him make this film this film that he's been wanting to make for you know right. years at this point and it would make sense that he would want lon chaney to be involved because lon chaney and harry earls actually worked together multiple times so going into the casting process for this film aiming for authenticity browning sought real sideshow attractions and performance to play the freaks at the heart of the story instead of relying on movie magic to portray them uh Earls, who um, you mentioned, uh, played the dwarf Hans, and his sister Daisy played his fiancee Frida. For the rest of the characters, casting director Ben Piazza put out a call for photographs and on-camera tests for various sideshow performers and apparently spent nearly a month traveling the country to scout out various acts. This exhaustive search paid off, leading to the casting of memorable performers like the half-boy, Johnny Eck, the living torso, Prince Randian, Angelo Risotto, who continued to work in films for far more than like five decades after Freaks, and Schlitzy, who I think is probably one of the more well-known characters yes. from this film. Very lovable and One of the three and- uh, microcephalic Correct. Uh, people. They were referred to in the film as pinheads. Yes. But that was, you know, again, a term from the 1930s. They, they didn't know then what they know now. Right. And they refer to Schlitzie as a girl. Schlitzie is not a girl. Well, I don't know if they refer to her so much as a girl. I'm trying to remember the interaction that she has with Wallace Ford, where he's complimenting. He's like, oh, what a pretty dress. What a nice dress. But according to IMDb, you know, it says himself, not herself. I don't know if that matters at all. I just, you know, kind of throwing that out there. So Todd Browning actually ended up having nightmares uh, while filming about the casting and filming uh, because of his insistence on casting real sideshow performers. Uh, It paid off visually, but it turned out to be a little bit like more difficult to manage than what he was initially anticipating and having to provide for these actors with all of these disabilities yeah they you can see that in some of the um like the like not their trailers but like the where their homes were like harry earl's little uh apartment you know because it's part of like the the carnival train there was his size like the doorway was built specifically for him and the room was built right no everything was accommodated but you know though many of them were seasoned performers the quote freaks were not necessarily trained actors and some of them required special care and patience due to impairments 
The stress of working with them took a toll on Browning, which led to some unusual dreams during the making of the film. He was quoted in an interview saying, It got to the point where I had nightmares. I mean it. I scarcely could sleep at all. There was one terrible dream in which I was trying to shoot a difficult scene. Every time I started, Johnny Eck, the half-boy, and one of the pinheads would start bringing a cow in backwards through a door. I'd tell them to stop, but the next day they'd do it all over again. Three times that night I got up and smoked a cigarette, but when I went back to bed, I'd pick up the dream again. And what's funny, because uh, Johnny Eck kind of reminds me of this, and we we went uh, a while ago, and you're going to hear some of their music. We went to see Avatar. And Avatar, uh, the opening act was Hell's a Poppin', which featured, as they put it, a freak show. Uh, Dan Sperry was there. You've probably seen him. He owns a ton of world records. Uh, And there was a gentleman who, like Johnny Eck, his body ended at his waist. And he, you know, got around by walking on his hands. And that was, it reminded me instantly of seeing that movie. And you hadn't seen it yet, but I had mentioned it. I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is, it's. They could have been related. Like, he even kind of looked like him. I do not remember his name. For the life of me, I can't remember his oh, name. Oh, I, f- I forget, too. He had a really cool, like, stage name, though. But he was, because he had spent so much time walking on his hands, he had built up such thick calluses. Like, he was smashing glass. And, you know, he was, you know, walking around on his on his hands on the glass with, with no protection. And, you know, he wasn't cutting his hands. Or, you know, that was part of his act. And then, just to kind of wrap up a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff, the actors, the freaks, for lack of a better word, also faced a lot of resistance from the MGM employees who reportedly were disgusted by their presence on the studio lot. The studio head was apparently so shocked by the performers that he wanted to shut the picture down. They were able to reach a compromise um, but apparently, so it had to do with seeing the actors and whatnot in the MGM commissary. So it was other films being shot on the lot at the time, as well as the people working on this film specifically were put off by the appearances of some of these people. And so in order to keep the picture up and running, They allowed the, quote, normal-looking cast members, uh, including Harry and Daisy Earls and the conjoined twins, Violet and Daisy Hilton, they were allowed to remain in the commissary while the rest of the cast was relocated to a tent outside that served as their mess hall. It was kind of like a a reference to that in the opening scene of the movie where you see, like, the, the two guys, you know, upset that these quote-unquote monsters are on their land and they want them gone and uh rose dion who played madame tetralini uh she was like oh these are these are just children how dare you talk to the, the children these this way and you know and especially where the you know the, she, she had the the microcephalics uh and it's it's really like looking back at it and seeing how these folks were treated it's soul crushing but when you think that the whole point of this film is to kind of like, Hey, we're just people, you know, like some people will point to like, Oh, well, what about the elephant man? That's, you know, that came out and it's like the elephant man came out in 1980 while it tried to kind of tell the story of Joseph Merrick. It didn't quite have the same cultural impact. Like this movie was banned in multiple countries for decades. Well, and 
like I said earlier, the studio actually cut the length of the film from 90 minutes to only 64 minutes, uh, cutting footage that depicted the attack on Hercules and Cleopatra in greater detail and some scenes that further humanized the freaks through small character moments. Again, uh, like I mentioned, you mentioned the cigarette scene mm-hmm. with Prince Randy, and there's a scene where he's actually, you know, you, you, they show him rolling the cigarette before lighting it and yeah. smoking it. Um, he also, the studio also cut an epilogue sequence that depicted a London museum opened by Madame Tetralini and replaced it with a framing device featuring a carnival baker who showed off the mutilated Cleopatra to a crowd. And apparently there's uh they cut a scene that showed how Cleopatra became Cleopatra at the end of the film. So basically the, the, the premise of this film is, you know, there's this traveling circus and Cleopatra played by Olga is, um, seducing a horrible horrible person she's seducing harry earl's character even though he's engaged hans yeah hans is engaged to frida they both have dwarfism and cleopatra finds out that hans has come into some inheritance he's got loads of money she's like oh i hate to bother you but can i borrow another thousand francs he's like oh of course absolutely and of course frida can see through her bullshit but Hans is just eating out of the palm of her hand and keeps going to her every night. She's seeing Hercules on the side. And it's just... So it's, she comes up with a plan to marry him, kill him, and get his money. Right. And so she's slowly poisoning him. And the freaks find out and exact their revenge. Right. but see, Because they accept her. They, uh, you know, because... Well, I want to I talk okay. about that scene in a minute. Um, so throughout this, this film, you're supposed to be horrified by these, these freaks. And I'm not going to call them freaks because that's obviously the, the film name. But I feel like if you reclaim a word, and I believe that they, they did that in this film. They really reclaimed the word freaks. If you reclaim a word for yourself, it kind of changes its meaning. It loses the, initial intention behind saying the word you know so it's like if you if you call a woman a bitch or something you know we we've all heard it you know we've been called a bitch so many times that you know it it just it it loses its effect and you know a lot of us have have a lot of women have reclaimed that word you know and uh turned it into something else so you know instead of be like wow you're such a bitch it's like bitch what is you doing you know um so I feel like the freaks have kind of done that. They've taken that word and instead of it having this negative connotation towards them, it's positive because it's representative of this, this community that they've made for themselves, you know, this community that they're a part of. Yeah. And again, you know, you're, you kind of flip the script, you know, you slowly see them, you know, like the role reversal. And I think that's what Browning was trying to do. Like he had focused so long on, and a lot of horror movies have horror properties have tried to take this same route. It's people who are the monsters. It's right. always the people. You know, you look at the story of Frankenstein. You know, the monster didn't ask to be born. You know, vampires are just doing what they need to do. Wolfman, Lon Chaney, you know, we covered him last year. He was just a sexual predator. But it's the people like, you know, somebody's always out to take advantage of someone else to put themselves on top. Mm hmm. And that's as true 
now as it's ever been. And the more I, I delved into this film, the more I realized that, and it was, it was pretty apparent, like right off the bat, who the villain actually were, who the bad guys were, who, you know, the ugly people were. And I think it makes for a, I'm trying to think of the right word, but like, uh, like a good, like, not so much coming of age story, but like, uh, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I do. It's not a coming, it's, it's a, it's a it, kind of like, you it's know, a the, feel good, not even feel good. Like, the moral of the story is be a good person and be true yeah. to yourself because, you know, that's all these people could do. Like, they, they had to be true to themselves because, you know, of the disabilities that they possessed, they couldn't be anybody else. They couldn't be some something that they're not, you know. Um, they don't. They don't have the capacity to do that, nor the will. I. I think, you know, they. They don't want to be anybody but themselves. And I think, you know, seeing how they accept, are so accepting of themselves and so accepting of others with similar or completely different disabilities. You know, they were all the same at the end of the day, and. The scene that you were talking about earlier, where it's after Cleopatra and Hans, they've gotten married, you know, much to the chagrin of Frida, you know, and you really feel for her, too. She's just so heartbroken and just so sad because she can see what Cleopatra's doing and she still loves Hans. And I think Frida was definitely one of my favorite characters. Um, she, yeah, she, I just I just. She even said to Cleopatra, like, you know, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about you hurting Hans. Like, you know, I've accepted the fact that he doesn't love me and he loves you. But don't treat him the way everyone... Don't laugh at him the way everyone else does. Right. And, you know, she knew that Cleopatra was laughing at him behind his back, as well as laughing at everyone else behind their backs. And and she just... She, she saw through Cleo's bullshit and so it's the night of the wedding and, um, you know, they've gotten married. They're having this kind of like reception thing underneath the circus tent and all of the freaks are there and, you know, they're, they're doing toasts and they do the whole. And I think this is because this film has definitely become etched in pop culture history. So you don't have to. You don't have to see it to know things about it. Like I was, this was my first time watching it and I was totally uh, aware of the whole, like one of us, one of us, the acceptor, Goo- yeah. one of us, Google gobble, because it's been parodied a thousand times. Well, and not only that, they, not so much parodied, but there's also been kind of like uh, homages to it, like in the, I forget which season, uh, which number season it was, but the freak show season of American Horror Story. Yeah, like the whole thing, you know, you have the, it was almost all based on these characters. And they actually used, some of the characters uh, had disabilities, you know, like Ma Petite, they they used uh, an actress who had... um, Forget, I forget the actual name of it. It's a, it's, it's a type of dwarfism. 
Um, you know, and they used other actors with other disabilities, which I think is great. You know, instead of casting someone again, you know, we're all about the inclusivity here. Instead of casting someone to play someone with disabilities, why don't you just hire an actor who has, you know, disabilities and, and therefore you're giving them a job and, you know, it's, it's more authentic. And- yeah. We had that whole conversation with uh, Jenny Gold, you know, a while back about that. Um, but this one scene, you know, these, they're all accepting towards her. And that me, and they could have denied her. They could have been like, you know what? You're not like one of us. We don't want you here. You're not one of us. You're not, you're not accepted. Like, we don't want you around us. Like, go be somewhere else. And instead, they were like, oh, you're one of us now. You're one of us. And, and, you know, we, we accept you as you are, you know, in hopes that, I guess, in hopes that, she would accept them and, and yes. she doesn't like first of all she's completely fucking drunk and just a, a making whole... out with hercules in front of right Hans. right like it, trying to be coy about it but it oh no it's... she wasn't trying to be coy about it because oh my husband's so jealous oh why are you so jealous and then when they pass around the chalice full of wine she literally throws it in their face she goes i will never be one of you you're freaks you know it's Oh, it's heart wrenching because they're just like we we're all part of this circus family. We want you to be part of, you know, us like we are including you in our group. We don't care that, you know, you don't have any I don't want to say deformity, but like you don't have any physical hindrances like you know, Johnny Eck or Prince Randy. Like you're, you're not like one of us, but we accept you anyways. And I think they were hoping for the same in return. And obviously that's not what happened. And to be honest with you, you know, this movie was meant to be disturbing. You're supposed to be very disturbed by the deformities, you know, and at the time that was kind of a, a form of entertainment. People went to the circus and they, they, you know, went to the freak show. Charge two bits of gander, you know, to see all of these, these, these people, these abnormalities and, you know, what have you. So, you know, watching this film, the only, freaks i saw the only horrible people i saw were cleopatra and And hercules Hercules. and they're supposed to be the most beautiful out of all of them yeah he's the strong man and she's the beautiful trapeze artist and she in my opinion was the ugliest one out of them all Mm -hmm. because of her actions and you know i did mention to you that you know they did play they did play up the um the terror aspect of this uh, a little bit at the end, when they realize, like, oh, yeah, I know you're trying to poison me. And, and Han says to her, he's like, what's in that bottle that you're giving me? Let me see that bottle. And you have, you know, a couple of the other uh, performers, you know, one of them is just kind of playing a flute. The other one's kind of playing with a knife. And they're all just kind of looking at her. And she realizes, like, oh, shit, they know what I did. And Hercules goes and tries to kill. Um, oh, my God. What's her name? Um, the other two. Uh, I got to pull it up again. He goes to kill uh, Frozo and Venus, who are like, you know, the two nice people. Like, they're nice to everybody. They're, you know, they talk to everyone the way you would talk, the way they talk to each other. Right. They don't treat anybody any different from how they right. would treat anybody else. They have conversations like, hey, how's it going? Like, oh, how, you know, how was your day? How was your, you know, how was you know, your they're performance? They're all friends. They're all coworkers in the circus. Like, they don't, they don't see people for their differences they they see them for who they are as a person and it's you know they're trying to fight back against hercules and then all of a sudden you see 
everybody else. And it's this terrifying scene. It's raining, it's muddy, and they're all swarming at Hercules. And they're all swarming at Cleopatra. The one thing that I just, I can't get over was Prince Randian, you know, crawling towards her with the knife in his mouth. It's like, I know that was meant to be frightening, but it's like, what are you going to do with it? I mean, he, maybe it was just a, it was just a visual, right? It was just the visual. And I could see how at the time that visual was probably terrifying. Even now that visual is terrifying. I didn't see it that way. I, I looked at it as you wronged us. Now we're coming for you. Like, I was actually really excited because I was like, yes, that bitch is going to get her comeuppance. But because the movie's only an hour and it was made in 1932, you're not going to see a whole lot. Like, if that was made now, like it would have been graphically violent. Oh, absolutely. But they also would probably have used a lot of CGI elements. Right. And again, it's one of the things you can appreciate about this film, the use of practical effects and the use of you know, people who have these these disabilities, these deformities, um, giving them a job, giving them work, and having them, you know, uh, I I didn't find the film to be exploitative. I mean, I guess you know, obviously people did, and people still do, but I think it it almost you know it it humanizes these people because that's what they are. You know, I don't right, you're really. Seeing them as I, I don't. I don't really see them um, any different from you know you or I. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe like a different audience would think differently. Maybe somebody else would think differently. But I just. Well, it was also again 1932 where things right. Were a so, like lot you said, different. I mean, like I could see how back then you know people would find that terrifying. But really, that scene just made me want to jump up and cheer. Like, yes, they're going to get her. They're going to get them. Like you know, uh, exact their revenge, which they deserve to do. You know, I didn't view them as the bad guys at all. No, they were the bullied victims who got pushed too many times. And, you know, even when people were being, you know, mean to them, it wasn't their words. It was the the action where they were finally like, you know what? You tried to kill him to take his money. We caught you. You went against us. As a collective, by going against him, you went against us as a collective after we welcomed you into our exclusive family. And what I love is the fact that they could have killed her. They could have just completely taken her out. But instead, they they maimed her. They made they- her into the very thing that she hated yes they turned her into an actual freak yes and it's really the only makeup design that or or special effect or costume effect that's used in the movie which i thought was brilliant they turn her into like duck girl chicken girl yeah crazy crazy goose bitch and uh yeah she becomes this this freak show sideshow act and well, attraction more than an act. Yeah, yeah. But and and people were having the same reaction you know, seeing her that she had seeing some of these freaks. I like and, to think that she was still aware enough to understand what was going on. Oh, I think so. I think she knew exactly what happened to her and what was going on and I think she was very cognizant of of the people's reaction to her and 
it's kind of, it's poetic justice in a sense, because she definitely got what she deserved. You know, she treated people this way. She took advantage of them. She, you know, uh, belittled them and berated them. And, you know, people who didn't deserve that because they never did anything to wrong her except for exist. Right. And if you haven't gotten a chance to see it, uh, we picked it up on Voodoo for $10. It's uh, really good. Like, I was, uh, again, like, it was my first time actually watching it through. I've seen bits and pieces of it. And again, you know, it's kind of out in the ether of pop co- culture at this point and, you know, parodied by a lot of different. And I hadn't watched it in about 15 years. Um, but it's really, it's good. Like, it's it's very well done, uh, especially for that time period. There's not a lot of character development per se. You don't get a lot of backstory. You just kind of get a, a glimpse of in the now. Um, but it was good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a film. Though, if you haven't seen it, you know, I know a lot of people like to do you know 31 films or you know watch a bunch of new horror films that they haven't seen you know in October. Uh, this is a good one to check out if you have not seen it. Um, it's on Amazon. You can get it pretty much anywhere you know, streaming for like $10 and it's well worth it. I know it's only an hour, but this is one that you will watch and rewatch and you will, you know, you know, you'll have friends over. Oh, have you ever seen this, this movie? No. Well, you're, you're going to watch it. You're going to take an hour and you're going to watch this because it's impactful. So I think with that being said, we're going to go to our second break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to drop our new battle and uh, give you some battle results. And um, yeah, so, We will be right back. Do you have a craving for creatures, a thirst for thrills, and a hunger for horror? Then you need to gorge yourself on the gore of Rock and Shock. That's right, Worcester's annual horror convention, Rock and Shock, comes for you from the DCU Center in Worcester, Massachusetts on October 11th, 12th, and 13th, featuring the Ladies of Evil Dead, Betsy Baker, Ellen Sandweiss, and Teresa Tilly, Ray Wise, and Sherilyn Fenn of Twin Peaks, Jason Voorhees himself, Kane Hodder, John Dugan and Ed Neal of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and making his first appearance, the legendary Bruce Campbell. Hail to the king, baby. Go to rockandshock.com for the full list as new guests are added all the time. Rock and Shock, be there and be scared. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. We'll make her one of us. A loving cup, a loving cup. We accept a one of us. We accept a one of us. Gooba gobble, gooba gobble. We accept her, we accept her. Gooba gobble, gooba gobble. One of us, one of us. Gooba gobble. They're going to make you one of the big cups. One of us, one of
And we are back. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed that uh, discussion about freaks. If you have any questions, uh, definitely you know shoot them over to us. Um, we've got some interesting stuff coming up. Um, I'm going to be debuting a new segment that I'm going to try out. See well, if I mean, people we can talk like about it. Coming attractions later because we have battle results, we have battles, we have science. Oh yeah, because we kind of we kind of threw things we, out of order. Yes, yeah, we we have not been on our A game lately. So, oh, um, I wouldn't say that. I just our schedule's been forcing us to kind of switch things around, and you know, the untimely death of Sid Haig caused us to kind of readjust uh, what we were going to do this week. So, um, because we have to pay tribute to, to such an icon and a legend. So, so battle results from a couple of weeks ago, we had the kick them in the derriere, the battle of the clowns location, dairy town gazebo, their gazebos. It's bullshit. Uh, which Pennywise has what it takes to defeat the other. Obviously you could choose from Pennywise 1990, which was portrayed by Tim Curry or Pennywise 2017-2019, which was portrayed by Bill Skarsgård. And so a couple of different reactions. So on Facebook, Tim Curry's portrayal of Pennywise won by over twice as many votes as Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise. However, on Twitter, it's a tie. So I guess that means that Pennywise wins. Well, I mean, yeah, yes, yes. The yes. winner is Pennywise. Yes. Yeah. We all Congratulations, knew that was, Pennywise. We, we all knew that was going to happen. Yes. It was just a matter of time. So Tim Tim Curry. So yes, wins. ultimately Tim Curry's Pennywise takes the cake, floats the balloon. Yep. Eats the kid. <laughs> um. So we do have somewhat of a battle for today. It's an interesting take on the battle, but before we get to it. Let's hit that battle theme. That, of course, uh, Enchanted Exile, giving us our amazing battle theme. So what is the battle this week? Well, because we are also paying tribute to the legendary, iconic Sid Haig in this episode, we are doing a farewell Uncle Sid poll. We want to know who is your favorite Sig Head, Sig Head, Sid Haig character. See, this is why we should not record when we come home from the gym. I'm tired. My muscles are sore. It's so late. It's so late. Um, Farewell, Uncle Sid. We want to know which Sid Haig character is your favorite. It's going to be an open poll. We're going to throw our two favorite. Well, we'll throw a couple options on there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, 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 include our favorite and uh we want to know yours we'll leave it open so you can add your own like right. this, there's not going to be a winner or a loser it's just going to be share your thoughts with us right and in the comment section definitely tell us any sid Haig stories you may have any you know meet and greets from conventions or you know a, a sid Haig uh movie that you love or you know just just let us know and uh so what do we got? What do we got? Do uh, you want to do uh, wine? Well, I mean, I have something. Do you have science? Well, I always have science. Okay. So you want to do your wine first? Yeah, I can do my wine first. Okay, do your wine first. So 
we recently went on vacation. We went to one of our favorite spots up at the Cape, uh, Truro Vineyards. And I believe I've mentioned a little bit about this before, but I've never really delved into what this is. So we've talked about some of the wines at Truro Vineyards, but Truro Vineyards is also home to South Hollow Distillery. Uh, they have a line of spirits. Patsy is a huge fan of their spiced rum. Which I am drinking right now. They also have gin. And as of last year, they have a rosé-infused gin. Now, I'm not really a gin drinker, but boy, am I now. Um, so to kind of give you a little bit of background on the gin itself. So the brand is called Dry Line. and the uh let's see the information that is provided is dry lines mark atmospheric territory and our gin marks ours we make it with eastern red cedar trees juniper berries that grow steps away from our distillery the eastern red cedar grows east of the 100 degree meridian and dry line that puts south hollow spirits on the right side of the map for juniper and more including our region's history of yankee ingenuity Dry line gin is handcrafted by meticulous self-taught distillers and blended with local organic angelica root, which, fun fact, is actually grown using composted grape skins from the Truro vineyards. In true New England fashion, this gin wastes not. Dryline gin is a can-do, know-how spirit of high-quality botanicals distilled from 100% sugarcane that's perfect over ice or as a star in any classic cocktail. Now, the rosé gin is handcrafted uh, like the gin, and let's see... It is blended with an elegant rosé of California Grenache, all of it handcrafted for a unique beverage of 35% rosé that's perfectly paired over ice, pretty in pink, and game for any classic cocktail. Now, I'm currently drinking that because I went to the gym today, therefore I deserve a drink. And I actually... Plus, gym and gin sound the same. Yes, I went to the gym today. I went today. to the gym today. Um, so it tastes really great on its own. You can definitely tell. Um, so when we went for the tasting, we drank their gin first and then we had the rosé gin. And their gin has a very clean taste. I, I can't really think of any other way to describe it. Uh, as It's a very clean taste to it. And it's quite delightful. And then trying the rosé on top of it, uh, the rosé... Uh, Infusion definitely adds a little bit of something. Not only does it lower the alcohol content a little bit, uh, this gin is 74 proof, um, but it definitely adds something to the flavor. And I'm currently drinking it with uh, mixed with pomegranate seltzer. So I used one part of the rose gin to two parts of the pomegranate seltzer and it's really freaking good so i gotta come up with a fun name for it the aphrodite what Why? No, i'm sorry the persephone why would i call it that well the uh it's greek mythology persephone uh had to go to the underworld and marry hades because of some pomegranates well, i'm um, a little fuzzy on the whole really well i know she had to because of po okay well we're not gonna call it that going to call it something a little funner it was uh reminds me of the uh the simpsons episode with herb powell when homer first finds out he has a, a half brother and they pitch that name to him he gets mad and he goes 
People don't want cars named after hungry old Greek broads. They want vicious animal names like Mustang and Cheetah. You gotta admit, that was a pretty good Danny DeVito, I think. I don't know. I rum think. ham! Rum ham! Uh, that's what you can call your drink, the rum ham, even though there's no rum or ham. Have you anything left with your, uh, with your science fact? Well, it's not my science well, fact, your it's your fact. science fact. Sorry, We're I'm... really knocking this episode out of the park. I apologize, guys. If we you're are still listening sleepy to and this, drinky. You're a champ, and I owe you a drink because just not this the one is that we not have. good. This is not good. I disagree. Not a good episode. I disagree. So, do you is that your? Uh, I'm done. Go right. ahead. Science fact. Let's so go. Today, my science fact is uh, based on the episode uh, topic. Uh, today, we're talking about Johnny Eck and the medical condition that he had is uh, called caudal regression syndrome, also known as sacral agenesis or hypoplasia of the sacrum. Uh, It's a rare birth defect that only occurs in 1 in 25,000 live births where the caudal partition of the spine, the lower spine, uh, is abnormal, and this occurs during fetal development. Uh, Johnny Eck actually had a fraternal twin brother who did not have this disorder. And although it seemed, you know, he would tell people that he was snapped off at the waist, he actually had, you know, feet. They were just so small and stunted that he was obviously unable to walk. However. He was walking on his hands before his brother could even stand. So in some ways, you know, I mean, other than that, other than this condition, he was 100% healthy. He lived a long life. Um, He was never, you know, never really sick. Like, this didn't cause him any issues. I mean, other than his appearance and how other people treated him. Uh, Yeah, that's what it was called. It was called the caudal regression syndrome. So I thought that would be just an interesting thing to talk about today. So what have we got coming up? We have a lot of stuff coming up. So next episode, um, do you want to talk about your shark bite first? Yes. So um, we are going to be debuting. uh, Well, I'm going to be debuting a uh, some bonus content called uh, shark bites. Well, no, we are. I'm allowing you to do it. So Uh, yes, you're allowing me. I'm the one who records and edits all of these episodes. So. Uh, it's stuff that maybe isn't topical for the podcast, but we want to make sure we cover it and get it out there. You know, it could be movie reviews. Uh, we actually have uh, a movie review slash interview with uh, Paul Salamoff, who directed the upcoming Encounter with uh, Luke Hemsworth and Tom Atkins, which comes out on uh, Blu-ray and VOD on uh, Tuesday, October 1st. I got a chance to watch this the other day. I got a screener of it. It's phenomenal. It's a great sci-fi film. Obviously, we get more into detail on the the episode. But yeah, this is something that you know we're gonna try kicking around, seeing if people like it. You know, in you know instead of just having our uh, our weekly episodes, you know, just add in like some little bonus content. Ashes came up with the name Shark Bites, so um, Ashes is working on a project too, but we're we're keeping that under wraps for now. But yeah, that's what that's what uh, I've got coming up. So look for look for that next week. Ashes. Uh, what have you got? So next week starts our horror series. We are actually delving into some slasher villains for this um, month of October and then some Ashtober, if you will. Uh, so it's going to be good. We have some great characters lined up. We are working on some fantastic guests. I think you guys are going to be pretty pleased. I promise oh, yeah. our next episode will be so much better than this one. Yeah, we won't be Pinky recording promise. it super late and after coming home from the gym. Well, we still might be coming home from the gym, but it won't it be, won't as, be late. as late. No. 
Um, we also have a bunch of stuff coming up along with our slasher appearances. Series. We have some appearances that we are doing. So we are going to be at the Halloween happenings brought to you by BMG Events. That is at Platinum City Gaming in Taunton on August 5th. It starts at 7 p.m. and there's a $10 cover charge. There's going to be prizes and raffles and karaoke and a costume contest. And we're going to be there in costumes. So definitely come play. It'll be a fun time. The following weekend, we are going to be at Rock and Shock. That's October 11th, 12th, and 13th at the DCU Center in Worcester. We're going to be there with our brothers and sisters in the Dorkening Network. And I believe... That something fun is going to be happening that Saturday. From 12 to 2. Yeah, it's a live podcast. Two hours featuring uh, many members of the Dorkening Network, uh, depending on how many people we can cram up on stage. If it's a choice between me or Ashes, it's going to be Ashes because people like her and uh, they like to look at her more than they like to look at me for some reason. Yeah, so it's going to be a podcast live in person, in the panel area of Rock and Jock. It's going to be a lot of fun. So it's going to be a bunch of us from the Dorking Network up there uh, just kind of shooting the shit, talking some horror, talking some convention, entertaining the hell out of the masses, you know, per usual. So it's going to be a really good time. Oh, there's there's going to be real topics. We've been discussing real topics and how uh, how we're going to interact and if we're going to I mentioned that it might be uh, a good thing to maybe have a safe word. Yes, there should be a safe word (laughs) because Kevin wants to make everyone cry. And so I think we should make Kevin cry for being mean. But it'll be a live pot. So if you're there, come down and and watch us yell yell things up at the stage because that's what I'm planning to do. And uh, I'll, I'll try and stream it live. You know, as well. Well, I'm sure somebody will, but there's a chance that we all might be able to fit up there as well. So you might, you know, not have to sit. You can. Well, I don't know how many how many chairs we can get up on that. We did have the entire cast of 31 up there a couple of years ago. Right. I think we're going to be good. Yeah. I think we'll be fine. But anyways, uh, the first weekend of November, so that's November 1st, 2nd and 3rd. We're going to be at Rhode Island Comic Con. That's down at the Dunkin Donuts Center and the rhode island convention center um so we will also be there with the dorkening doing some fun stuff so definitely and and uh a lot of crazy guests have been added to it's it's huge like rhode island comic-con is always a really good time so jaleel white urkel himself is going to be there yes uh the following weekend november 9th that saturday we are going to be at the dead of autumn horror fest that is also at platinum city gaming in taunton uh alex divincenzo of broke horror fan is going to be showing a short the misplaced it's also the cinematic debut of it came from the 508s, the box. And strawberry fields. Strawberry fields? I keep wanting to call it strawberry fields. I don't think it's strawberry fields. That's the Beatles song. It's something along those lines, though. We'll look it up and we'll post links because good I don't job remember. doing research. Listen, I was just remembering. And then the following weekend, we're going to be at Super Mega Fest, November 16th and 17th. That is at the Sheraton in Framingham. Again, we will be there with the Dorkening Network doing some fun stuff. 
and telling the warriors to come out to play. Oh my god, yeah, we're gonna be there. Actually, both of my brothers and my parents are gonna be there to meet the warriors, and we're going to the VIP after party. But before we do that, I haven't been to Super Mega Fest in a few years, and the last time I was there, I won the Star Wars trivia contest. I'm gonna have to uh, go back and attempt to defend my crown because uh, I really wanna, I really wanna win that. So. Uh, I think that's about it. I think uh, we're going to leave you with some interesting music today, like we did last week with the Rambo theme, because Avatar was such a uh, uh, an accommodating group. Give Hells a Pop and the opportunity to uh, to open for them. I think we're going to leave leave you with an Avatar song called "Smells Like a Freak Show," and with that, we, we will, will see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday.